welcome to the Anti-Architect Podcast. I am your host, Christian Giordano. As president and owner of the design firm Mancini Duffy, I am driven by a quest for learning and radically changing the industry. With this podcast, I'm hoping to improve the industry that I'm so passionate about by taking a critical look at how architects work through a variety of voices and shared experiences. Hello, Anti-Architect Podcast listeners. I'm excited to have Mark Beal here in studio as my guest on the Anti-Architect Podcast. Mark Beal is a Gen Z expert, professor, author, and keynote speaker. For over 25 years, Mark led public relations and marketing campaigns for some of the nation's leading companies and major sports and entertainment platforms, such as the Olympic Games, the Super Bowl, the World Series, March Madness, the U.S. Open Tennis, and the Rolling Stones. Today, he collaborates daily with Gen Z as a full-time professor of practice in public relations at Rutgers University School of Communications and Information. Mark's ongoing primary research of Gen Z has led to keynote speeches with the American Association of Marketing, the Association of National Advertisers, Public Relations Society of America, as well as many cool corporations, brands, and conferences around the United States. As the go-to Gen Z expert, Mark has written five books about Gen Z. His next book, Zio, Introducing Gen Z, The New Generation of Leaders, will be published in April of 2023. Mark, thank you so much for being my guest here Christian, today. Christian, thank podcast. you. This is great. I appreciate it. I, I really I really appreciate it. Um, so first, I want to explain a little bit to the audience as to why we're having a guest that's going to talk about Gen Z <laughs> on a podcast about architecture. Um, it is, and our, our podcast you know, kind of varies, not necessarily always about architecture per se, but number one is I love having you know people on and talking about subjects that I am fascinated with and the idea of Gen generations and sort of what you can learn from generations is absolutely a fascinating uh, subject. And I actually think it relates a lot to architecture and sort of the generations in architecture itself. Um, and then Gen Z will be joining the workforce. Um, at some point, there will be larger than the millennials, from what I understand, right. in the workforce. Um, and there will be a point very soon, I believe, for the first time in history, correct me if I'm wrong, where there'll be four generations uh, in the actual workforce at one time. Um, as, you know, the boomers, they don't seem to uh, be retiring. <laughs> I mean, I know that they are, but, you know. <laughs> um, so I guess my, my first question is, why is it important to understand the next generation, you know, in general? We'll, we'll get into the detail, sure. but why is it important? Well, a couple of things. To your point, Christian, actually, Currently, now we do have the four generations in the workforce. So we have boomers with Xers, mm -hmm. with millennials, and the oldest members of Gen Z. So Gen Z, according to Pew Research Center, and I like their their data the best. First birth year was actually 1997 for Gen Z. So your oldest Gen Zers are turning 26 in 2023. So they're now three, two, one years or so out of college. So they've been in the workforce now for a few years. Okay. And each and every year, as we have graduation in May, tens of thousands are joining the workforce now and for the next 10 plus years. So 
you know, as you know, by 2030, 30% of the workforce will be Gen Z. So if you work at a company with 100 employees, 30 plus will be Gen Z. If you work with a company with 1,000, 300 plus will be. Mm. So that's the reason why I've kind of put a focus on this because um, they are the new generation arriving at the workforce now and for the next decade. Um, and from a marketing perspective, which I know is not the focus today, but for marketers, they have become priority number one for most marketers. So as we looked at the recent Super Bowl, most of those marketers, whether they're a soda brand, a beer brand, a candy brand, their focus now is Gen Z. It was millennials. Uh, sorry to say millennials, you're in the rear view mirror. Um, <laughs> but it is now Gen Z. So the focus has just shifted to this generation and will be now for, like I say, the next decade or so. Okay. I have a lot to say about millennials too, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into <laughs> that. Um, especially because for what we do, they changed a lot of the workplace itself. Mm -hmm. I don't know necessarily for the better, but they did change it. Um, so I just, I want to back up just in genera generations in general. So, um, and I have my little chart in front of me here, the Generation GI, mm -hmm. the um, you know the silent generation, the Boomers, Gen X, Millennials. Someone told me that they were changing Gen Z to Homeland. I've uh, never heard that. Yes, um, <laughs> but from a year perspective, to your point, uh, Gen Z begins in '97, so that's where Millennials end. So Millennials go to '96. Okay. Um, and Gen Z begins in 97, which is why the focus now is on Gen Z, because they're no longer just in school, but they're earning a full time salary. They're making decisions about homes, apartments, rentals, cars, automotive brands, things like that. And uh, yes. Those and so when does Gen Z end? So it's 97. So Gen Z, well, they haven't. So that decision hasn't been made yet. Uh, okay. I go through 2012. So what I say is 97 to 2012. Eventually, Pew Research Center, who kind of sets the years, will do that. But the, believe it or not, it won't be for a few years. So so for now, we say if we go 2012, we have that 15-year window. So the youngest Gen Zers are age 11 this year. Okay. The oldest are 26. So from third, fourth grade to those who are three, four years into their career. Okay. So that puts my kids in that generation, which yeah. actually when, you know, in doing the research on everything about Gen Z with and that involves you, um, my kids definitely fit in that generation, <laughs> with, with hands down. Um, so, you know, in, in terms of generations, you know, in general, it it's, you know, I, I, I guess at some point, you know, you're making, you know, you're making broad generalizations sure. about people. And, and I want to make sure everyone knows we know that um, we know that it takes individual, you know, individuals or, are, are, you know, uh, circumstances, you know, change things, the way they grow up, change things. So not everybody um, fits necessarily into these buckets. But, um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about my generation and your generation, sure. Gen X, because I, I find it fascinating. I, I, I very much feel that the characteristics that, that I have and that, that I share with my generational group are very specific or, or they, I relate very much to them. And I'm just going to kind of go sure. through them, right? Um, we're independent. Uh, we're entrepreneurial. Um, and then I highlighted a couple that I think are important because I think that Gen Z fits in a little bit with that and millennials are almost the opposite. Um, you know, for Gen X, we're pragmatic and practical. We tend to be more focused on solving problems and achieving our goals than on idealism or utopian thinking. Um, which I find fascinating. That is me, you know, sort of the, oh, it's better for the world kind of thing. That's great and all, but I'd rather do the thing sure. that I'm focused on doing. Uh, we're somewhat tech savvy. You know, we can adapt as we need to. We didn't grow up with it, mm -hmm. you know, sort of, you know, in our hand the whole time. And I think also key is we're skeptical. Um, 
Gen X is skeptical for whatever reason, whether that's sort of the upheaval. You could argue there's upheaval in every generation. Um, but I think that's a trait that sticks with us. Um, from your sort of perspective, how do you contrast the the between um, Gen X, millennials, and and Gen Z? No, it's great. And there, to your point, there's some things there with Gen X, which I am as well, which you're right. There's some elements of that that are... are um, they share in common with Gen Z. So Gen Z is very skeptical. I call them the purpose generation. So to your point, they actually do prioritize purpose over profits. They do want to contribute to a better world, a better society. It's why brands like Patagonia are um, brands that they, they, they admire. Mm. Um, but they are skeptical. They're skeptical about companies, brands, the world, employers, <laughs> all those things. So they are skeptical. They are incredible entrepreneurs, incredible entrepreneurial mindset from the palm of their hand with their phone. They've launched startups. They've launched 501c3s. Uh, they've launched communities of shared interest and shared passions. Um, so I think there's some definitely some similarities there. There's a few slight differences. I don't know if you'll agree with me, but let's throw it on the table, <laughs> not to cause controversy. There's two things I say often, um, and I'm not the only one who says them. But two things. One, I can say it uh, as a Gen Xer, as an older Gen Xer, um, that we um, we lived to work. I mean, we lived to work 24 seven. Mm -hmm. I'm not proud of that today, but I did spend 30 years 24 seven every day, all day working. I kind of still do. Um, I absolutely do. <laughs> Ask my family. <laughs> I would say Gen Z works to live. So a slight nuance there. The idea is, yes, we do want to work, but we want to work so that we can actually go out and enjoy life, adventure, travel, all those things. So it's, it's a slight nuance. Yeah. Unlike you and I, who I'm glad we're in agreement, uh, we actually live to work, right? We don't, we don't, we don't even mind on a Saturday, Sunday working if it, it's helping get to the whatever the objective is. Yep. And then the other is, uh, which we'll see if you agree with, um, I, I say Gen X um, worked harder, not smarter. Gen Z worked smarter, not harder. And what I mean by that is we just worked hard. We just got it done, right? Got the job done. Gen Z with their tech savviness, being digital natives, they try to figure out, well, can we get to the finish line more efficiently, more effectively, maybe even more quickly? Maybe we don't have to spend 10 hours on this task. There's a way to get it done in four hours. And if so... Let's get it done and then let's go enjoy life. So that's another thing I put in my next book, which you mentioned, ZEO, Introducing Gen Z, the New Generation of Leaders. It's just a slightly different mindset. They're not afraid of work. Mm -hmm. Their um, work, um, how they work and the way they approach work is, is different, um, which we'll get into. But um, I will always say they, uh, they work smarter, not harder. I think we worked harder, not smarter. Um, so it's just interesting as those generations and others all come together in the workplace, in a physical office, and how do they how do they do that in a way that it's uh, beneficial for everybody? Sure, sure. So I, I agree with all of that. And how do you then contrast the the Gen Zers to the millennials? And I, I guess my my theory is that. Um, so my, I've worked with millennials now for probably the bulk of my career because, mm -hmm. and especially in the point where I, you know, as, as an owner of the company, as the employer, um, you know, and I, I think millennials do get a bad rap in some sense, right? We have some very hardworking uh, millennials. Um, but I would say that, so my theory is that they, they are very idealistic, the millennials, um, but the difference is that they want me as the employer to give them their life's purpose. And if they agree with sort of the concept of my company, then they will give it their all to work there. 
um, where I feel like, and you correct me, mm-hmm. you're, you're the expert, Gen Z is going to be slightly different. They want that purpose, but they don't need me right. for that. They're going to they're gonna do it themselves. Like my daughter almost, she doesn't say it this way, but it's almost like, why should I go to college? Maybe I'll just start my own company. Maybe I'll start 10 companies. Yep. So I love that. Yeah. As, yeah. as an entrepreneur, yeah. I do love that. Yeah. And that's that entrepreneurial spirit that she and Gen Z share is the idea of there may be a different route I can take, a different way I can go. I can launch my own company. I going to college. I've, co- <laughs> I've, co- I've connected and collaborated with Gen Zers who've launched companies in eighth grade. I um, I get invited a lot to high schools to speak, and my speech is a little bit different they, there. It's about pursue your passions, you know, dream big, anything is possible. But I remember being out in Ewing Township just before the pandemic, and there was a ninth grader who I saw out of the corner of my eye, and he's raising his hand, raising a hand. Like, I said, you know, hey, what do you want to contribute? I started my own greeting card company in eighth grade. And I said, fascinating. Take me through that. <laughs> so I've seen that. Um, interesting about millennials. Nothing against millennials. Um, <laughs> I've had really great conversations in the past several weeks as I was writing the book with millennials. And I, every, they all had this common theme, which is really interesting. I, I, I kind of knew it, but I didn't know it until I spoke to them. And I think you'll appreciate this. And I mean, understand this. Millennials are kind of caught in the middle of this thing here. And so what I mean by that, as you said, is there's still boomers and Xers who are owning the company, the C-suite, leading the company, right? The leaders, which makes sense because they've now been in business for 25, 30, 35 years. Mm -hmm. Then you've got this new group, these Gen Zers who are showing up, right? These digital savvy Gen Zers who, you know, can work from anywhere and whatever, (laughs) And they've got a different approach. And then the millennials, and I've, like I said, I spoke to quite a few. They're kind of in this mid-manager, supervisor role because they've now been in the, you know, they've been 12, 13, 10, whatever it is, years. You know, they're not entry level, but they're not necessarily the C-suite. And they, uh, the, all of them said to me, they said, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of stuck in the middle. I said, what do you mean by that? Well, my bosses, those who I report to are the Xers and the boomers. And again, they've come from a different perspective and background as it relates to careers and all. But I'm managing this new generation that's got also got a different perspective. And I'm kind of the person stuck in the middle that's got to please both groups. And I never really considered that until I had these conversations. And I uh, I walked away kind of feeling, uh, it's the right word, but I kind of felt bad. Mm, like, interesting. Like they're trying to serve, not two masters, but they're serving the, again, the owners of the company, the CEO, the C-suite, the, 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 and those are who ultimately make decision whether they get promoted, pay raise, all that. But then they have to supervise and manage this group that's come along that's completely kind of approaching work in a different way, maybe not working uh, in an office more than one or two days a week. Um, so it's just an interesting perspective. So, But to your point, I think millennials ushered in a lot of the things that have now kind of pass through the funnel, you know, even things just like work-life balance. Yeah. Um, I think millennials push that in. And I think Gen Z is saying, yeah, we we need to go further with that. I really do believe that. So I think millennials, uh, you know, technology too. Millennials were on a cutting edge of technology. Gen Z is further along the line. But I think millennials are like, we need to get and adopt, you know, the latest, greatest in technology so we can get the, the work done, again, more efficiently, more effectively. So it's really interesting right now in the workplace. Yeah. And I really didn't have that millennial perspective till I had really heart-to-heart conversations with um, several who all are, you know, 32, 33, 34, 35. And I didn't consider this idea that they're in the middle managing the new generation, but reporting still to the boomers and the Xers. Will our generation, the Gen Xers, will we retire sort of on time or do you see us lingering? 
Great question. I don't know if there is retirement anymore. Mm. I really don't know. Um, I feel like the more and more, again, I'm a 56-year-old Gen Xer. Um, I don't hear of too many people retiring. Like I think in traditional previous generations, you know, you hit a certain age, whatever that age was, 55 or, you know, and I'm retired. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I'm not really seeing that as much. Or maybe, you know, maybe they retired from a job they had for 30 years. And maybe I'm an example of that. But now they're on to career number two. So, so I, I was see at an agency for almost 30 years. Yeah. And now I am three, four years into being a professor uh, and authoring books and all that. And that to me is not retirement at all. That's just moving on to kind of the next phase of what I want to pursue. Interesting. But that that does then leave room for the millennials to move up. And oh, without a doubt. Yeah. In the ownership. I, I think with the boomers, one thing about the boomers that I will say, at least in my experience, and they were willing to get out of the way at some point. And I feel like they are still getting out of the way, mm -hmm. um, which is a which is a real testament to that generation. Yeah. Like, okay, well, you guys do it yeah. now. I'll I'll give you guidance. I'll mm -hmm. kind of you know jump in when I need to. But in the meantime, but I don't see the gen, <laughs> I don't see me as the gen uh, the Gen Xer saying you know hey I'm going to step away yeah. and yeah. I'm going to kind of watch yeah. you. I'm either going to step away and do something else yeah. as you said, yeah. um, but I'm not going to let you steer the ship if yeah. I'm still at the helm. Yeah, kind of I would agree with that. I think it's, um, we're in a different era, a different time, right? And I do think previous generations, again, there was a, a, a milestone year, whatever year that was, and was kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm retired. I'm going to go right off into the sunset. I just don't think that's, I just don't think that's the, the case anymore. Uh, I think it's either continuing what you started, a company, an organization, or I'm up for a new challenge now, and I'm going to pursue this. I, I like right. I, I'm not slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, no, I'm just I, I'm just doing things. Di I'm just doing, pursuing different passions. I, I totally agree. So in your, you know, you're obviously around the Gen Zers all the time, and I want to talk a little bit about COVID nineteen and the pandemic. Yep. How has that impacted their behaviors? Um, and what do you think some of the long term implications of it are? And I and I really do think on and I, again I watch my kids. Skeptical. I go back to that skeptical, yeah. you know, part of of our generation, and I see it in my kids. And I don't want to get super political, sure. but you know, hey, my kids notice that. Oh well, during the pandemic, you know, the staying home from school, the masks, the this, the that, and the other thing. No matter where, what side of the political aisle you fall, a lot of it was wrong. And it wasn't wrong because people had ill intent. It wasn't wrong because, you know, hey, I want to just lock you in your house. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you can see that. And I can see that with my kids. Like, well, why should I listen to that? They're not right. You know, kind of thing. So how is that affecting the whole generation? Absolutely. No, great question. And I do see 2020 as this milestone year. There were life and work and everything was a certain way before and it's completely transformed right and i don't think it's ever going back but i what i always like to say is that the pandemic occurred during gen z's most formative years because again the pandemic was you know three plus years ago so your gen zers for the most part at the time we're all in school maybe the oldest were just getting out of college um so i like to say you know they missed out on a lot of milestones that previous generations got to enjoy Milestones as simply as walking across the stage and graduating and accepting a diploma, social milestones, proms and dances and, you know, th you know, just milestones that are part of growing up at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. I think that'll have a long term impact on them. 
from a schooling standpoint, as we all know, you know, basically overnight, they went from in classroom to remote learning, uh, which no one prepped us, no one planned for it. No one said, oh, by the way, in a month or two, we're going to do this. It was overnight. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, but what I always say is Gen Z quickly pivoted, quickly transformed, quickly innovated, even though no one trained them or tutored them or got them ready for remote learning, they figured it out. Maybe, you know, maybe it took a little while. Maybe it was more challenging, but they figured it out. Uh, they demonstrated what I call incredible resiliency during this time. So sure. despite being, um, you know, kicked off campus uh, or out of school uh, and not enjoying those milestones that everyone, one of us should enjoy, um, they were resilient. I had students I remember. So this is March 2020. Sophomores and juniors who had secured internships for the summer, and those internships were quickly taken away from them in March and April. So all of a sudden, here I am, a sophomore, junior in college. Now I don't have any internships. You know, I interviewed, I got them. That was one area. The other area was the the graduates of the class of 2020 was the worst year to graduate college. Many of them who I know who are now doing very well in their careers went almost a year without a job because there were no jobs to be had, right? Because sure. companies were either laying off or they were hiring freezes. So there were no jobs, but they persevered. They continued to network. They continued to try to find just experience any way they could, remote experience, internship experience, whatever it could be. So I think it, uh, like I said, resiliency came through that, the ability to adapt quickly, uh, the ability to um, transform quickly. So um, you know, I I wrote an article for the New York Star Ledger around that time, and the headline was that we wrote is Gen Z the greatest generation ever. And I actually wrote the headline too, which I didn't think they'd keep. Um, <laughs> but Tom Hanks that year delivered a uh, commencement speech in May 2020 virtually via Zoom, and he basically called them the chosen ones. And you will help restart our measure of normalcy, you the chosen ones. So I think all that will carry with them for years. Yeah, I think it also contributes. We haven't gotten into, and we may not, but to um, their prioritization of mental health as a focus and a goal setting area. Um, and so I think what many Gen Zers feel is, okay, for a year or two or three, I've proven that I can actually conduct work remotely, schoolwork mm -hmm. or internships. Many of them, their internships are remote. Um, so I don't know if I necessarily need to travel five days a week into an office and commute there. Um, I think I could probably, you know, two, three days out, two, three days in, I think I'd be fine. And that's kind of what I'm finding now. And I think every company right now is trying to feel it out. Oh, yeah. I yeah. meet a lot with uh, chief town officers and chief people officers. And one or two have said, you know, we pushed it to the three day and we realized that that moment it was a little bit over. So we're back to the two day. I have some that are just every Wednesday, the whole company goes in. And I think Gen Z likes that uh, flexibility of, uh, yes, I would like the in-person collaboration connection. I don't necessarily need to do it five days a week, uh, but do enjoy it a day or two a week in person. And then the, that freedom of being able to work from home uh, on a few other days, they also appreciate that. So that's interesting. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually skip to that sure. part in, in, my, in my questioning because I think that that's important. Um, I think it's important to build on that, right? And to me, so... So what I do as an architect, like we build physical spaces, whatever that might be. It's uh, whether it's a hotel, a restaurant, uh, an office building, residential, whatever, right? And, and at the end of the day, you've got to occupy a physical mm -hmm. space. Yep. Um, I'm not a huge believer in sort of the metaverse in that sense. I don't <laughs> believe that people are going to be living vicariously through the computer. Yep. Maybe one day, maybe not. Yep. I, I am a big believer in the AI side of sure. things and, and that we've been doing a long time. Um, but the office is a really interesting um, 
uh, conversation for me, just in general. Sure. And I feel like companies like my own and 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 several others, we've always been flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a point in which the flexible and not being able to do some of the things that you need to do in the office, um, they don't work. They don't. They don't marry up. And I'm hoping that Gen Z, although we're kind of where you're saying, <laughs> is going to kind of bring some of that back. Um, you know. Uh, I guess ultimately the data on the work from home will show itself sure. over over the next ten plus years and and see where it is. Um, but when it comes to physically being in the office, um, to me, there is nothing sadder than a twenty one year old to thirty year old sitting in their house uh, in their apartment uh, in front of a computer five days a week, you know, working at a company mm-hmm. virtually. Yeah. Um, and again, this is old school me. You know, there's something about, um, you know, getting up in the morning, going to the gym, commuting to work all before 8 a.m. To me, that builds some sort of character. Now, I know that's not a, I, I know that that's just me or maybe sure. our generation, yeah. something like that. And I know that's not the way it can yeah. be or should be. Um, but in person office provides mentorship. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't understand how you do that. It also provides friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, people go to work for money, they go to work for friendship, or they go to work for sort of a, a, a you know a greater social purpose or, or, or that kind of thing. And I think that the the millennials kind of check a few of those boxes. Mm-hmm. So the more in office, the more in person companies to me are better. I also don't know how you build a culture in an office without physically being together how do you not go out one of the saddest things i read was that you know uh people don't like to go out for happy hour after work you know they'd rather just go home or they'd rather be home and not interact with their colleagues i mean i met my wife at work you know i think everyone i know met their wife their wives or or boyfriends (laughs) or girlfriends or whatever at work it was a huge part of the social aspect of life so where does Gen Z, you know, ultimately fit into that? Or is the is it not yet written? No. Uh, well, although I, I wrote quite a bit about it in my <laughs> next book, ZEL, but it's fascinating. We could spend hours and hours <laughs> just on this topic, the transformation of the workplace. Where is it? Where is it going? Where was it? Uh, I'm, I was smiling as you went through that because that was how I lived. So for 30 years, I got up at 4.45 a.m. and I worked out until 6. I then hopped on a bus at 6.35, went to New York City, got to my office at 8.40, worked at my office till 7.40, got a bus home, got home at 9.30, snapped and did it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. And what I tell Gen Z is don't do that. Yeah. I don't want you to do that. Don't make the same mistake I did. Yeah. I, my whole life was there. Mm-hmm. Not the way to live. <laughs> but to your point, I think there's a, uh, a happy medium. And I think that's where Gen Z is looking for. Gen Z does want in-person collaboration, in-person connection, in-person mentorship, uh, the happy hour. They do. They just don't want it five days a week. Um, so what I'm seeing, again, I'm seeing the, the happy medium in 2023 being two or three days in, two or three days out. Mm-hmm. Flexibility, you know, on those days I don't have to go in. And I know for you and I, it doesn't sound like much, but on those days I don't have to get in, you know, I don't have to drive the car the 30, 35, 40, 40 minutes or get on the train or get on the bus or whatever. That's time I actually can maybe start working. I had a really good um, Gen Zer came into my class the other day. And her company, she's in one day a week, the whole company. And she said, those days I'm not. My 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 approach is completely different. She goes, I actually now 
get started work earlier, where if I went in the office, I really don't get there till about nine-ish. So now I may start at 7.30. But then I take time at 10, 11, or 12, and I do actually go work out. And I get that kind of mental health break during the day. And she goes, I can never do that at work. So I think it's a combination of both. I mean, I'll make a $1 bet now that we'll never go back to a five-day in the office. I just don't think it's going to happen. So if I lose it, I, I owe you a dollar. No um, and I think it's that combination, because to your point, human connection, what I call high human interaction, HI, is very, very important. We need that, especially to your point, onboarding. There's a lot of Gen Zers, as you know, who started their careers in, let's say, 21 and never physically went to an office maybe for a year or two and everything was Zoom and, you know, uh, Slack and and Teams and, you know, and all those things. That's a hard way to onboard. It's a hard way to um, collaborate with a mentor, to even get a mentor, to create friends, to be social, all those kinds of things. So yeah. uh, it's an interesting place when I really am. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, to your point, how does it play out in 24, 25, 26, 27? Yeah. I don't know. We're seeing now, right? Disney recently said everyone's going to be back in the office. But they revolted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we've heard other companies do that. So we want to see, okay, if that does happen, do we all of a sudden see resignations and drop-offs of that? Because folks yeah. are like, I've already proven I don't have to be there. I'm going to go work somewhere else. So it's just, yeah. we are in a fascinating time. I think it's a very fascinating time. So I'm a time. big believer in walking the walk and walking the talk, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever that expression yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, no, I... um, so for me... You know, I do go to an office five days a week, but I cheat because I opened up an office close to my house, sure, sure. right? That's five minutes yeah. away from my house. So I go there at least one day a week, if not two. So I, I do want to be respectful of that idea. And as I said, we've as a company have always been flexible. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, I don't think I went to New York City five days a week, you know, consistently for years because- Good. Don't do it. Yeah. There were always other things going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do, and, and we right now, we're three days a week in the office and, and we say mandatory. And I hate that word mandatory sure. um, because to me, nothing is mandatory. Mm -hmm. It's your life. Um, and if you can, I am a big believer. If you can get your work done, I really don't care where you do it. Yeah. Um, but we do see a little slowdown in productivity or maybe not, or less, maybe it's not productivity, it's efficiency. Mm -hmm. um, and so I am curious kind of where that ultimately plays out. I, I do like this idea though, and it's something that we've talked about, <clears throat> one day where the whole company is there. Yeah. That to me is great. That mm -hmm. That's pretty special. And we yeah. try to do that and then also associate it ironically with a happy hour. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Because then to your point, it's not a just about work, work, work. It's about mm -hmm. socializing, connecting, forming relationships, forming friendships, because those are all going to benefit the work, too, because I enjoy working with you. And so I enjoy collaborating with you. So we're seeing a lot of um, not experimentation. That's not the right word. But like I heard from a CEO recently who said, I'm giving all my employees six weeks of what we're calling digital nomads. So for six weeks, separate from vacation, separate from PTO, separate from anything else, then go work on a beach for a week. Mm. And it's very transparent, though. They are letting us know they're going to the beach or the mountains, wherever they're working. But we also know that, well, they're at the beach, so let's not bug them every minute of the day while they're there. They're working. We get that. But, you know, when five o'clock hits, they're going to go enjoy the beach. So, um, you know, just a lot of different things going on. The other thing, which I brought up earlier, um, more and more companies starting last year, really, but now formally giving employees mental health days as benefits. Uh, I had more members of the class of 22 who graduated and called me and said, hey, great news. I got the job. And of course, I'm kind of excited to see, hey, what are you making? Uh, and the first thing they said, and I'm getting mental health days. 
So that's resonating with Gen Z for sure. Now, in the old days, maybe you called it a sick day or a PTO day. But for Gen Z, it's like, wow, they care about me. They're giving me mental health days, whether that's one a quarter, one a month, whatever it might be. Uh, interesting story real quick. I uh, presented recently to about 60 executive recruiters who from around the country. Uh, most of them were Xers and boomers. There might have been a millennial or two in the crowd. And they were... Uh, they were shocked and awed when I talked about mental health days and they looked at me and they were just mental health day. What do they do? They sit on their couch all day. <laughs> what are they, like they, they, it was just like, what do you mean? What, who's doing this? <laughs> so it was interesting, but more and more are, I mean, we even have in um, the fall of uh, this past fall 22, you know, I think it was the first time I recall that on world mental health day companies actually, I shut down that day. I know many, many big and small companies who shut down and used it as an occasion just to rest, recharge, you know, take a day off. I don't recall that in 2018, 17, 16, right? I don't ever recall that. Yeah. So it's just, that's another kind of dynamic that's happening in the workplace. Too. So one of my partners will listen to this and he'll say to me, what he'll say, he'll be saying to himself, <laughs> what the hell is a mental health day? And as the employer, isn't that the weekends? <laughs> Shouldn't you be working? So I guess the question is then what is the, what is a mental health day yep. and why is it important to this generation? Cause I, I yeah. genuinely do want to understand. Yeah. Again, the reason we're talking about this is because Gen Z is going to be part of the workforce. And if you want a company that innovates and you want a company yeah. that you keep employees, all of these things yeah. need to be important. Just like we made and we, we made a lot of changes in the workplace. Again, I think a lot of them for good, some maybe not so good for millennials. You know, I think we need to really think hard and fast about the Gen Z at work. Absolutely. Version. And so the mental health day is something that, again, companies are introducing for the first time. And I've seen it play out in practice. It's, I don't want to say it's as simple as this, but it's as simple as a, an employee. And again, it's not just for Gen Zers. The mental health days for everybody, <laughs> right? They're not, but it's as simple as just the email. And again, maybe in the old days we called them sick days, but the email, hey, I'm just not up to it today. I just, I need the day. I just got to, I got to just refocus, recharge, whatever. The key on that is that the supervisor manager doesn't say, well, what's going on? What, what, what? you know, it's not challenging or questioning it. Mm -hmm. It's like, no worries. We'll see you tomorrow. You know, just do whatever you got to do or yeah. maybe not even comment that. Just no worries. Um, and that's, in essence, what it is, because, again, as I tell my students, um, you, I, everybody, our lives work as one piece of that life. Yeah. There's family. There's side hustles. There's other things going on. Work is just one piece of our multidimensional lives. And so um, there could be just something family related that's. I got to focus on something today. I just I'm not going to be able to you know go to work and focus because I got this other thing going. Whatever it might be. Um, so again, maybe we used to call it PTO or a sick day, but now more and more companies are are introducing this idea of a mental health day. Interesting. Um, so uh, that's not going to go away anytime soon. I think that's only going to gain momentum as this generation joins the workforce. You mentioned the word side hustle. Yes. Um, so. I'm a, and I've talked about this even on this podcast. I'm a big side fan, a side, a side hustle fan. Um, and, and the reason is because I kind of got my start with a side hustle. You know, I, I was basically doing freelance architecture throughout my entire career that ultimately gave me the ability to then go and buy into the company that I now, you know, I'm one of the owners of. And, I also believe that that side hustle did something that I could have never gotten the experience uh, working directly for a large company was, and that was the direct relationship between me and my client, okay. right? And, and the ability to 
that was my client. And at the end of the day, it was really important that that was my client. It was my relationship and it was me and them as opposed to that intermediate of the company's client, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sort of just working at the company and someone else holds that relationship. And I believe that gave me the ability to kind of be what I am today in terms of understanding how clients think and function and how important it is for client service. Yep. Um, Gen Z, are they big side hustlers? Yes, very much so. And they want to work for companies that uh, welcome and invite you to explore your side hustle. Now, the side hustle, to your point, may have nothing to do with what the company does. I'll give you one example without naming names. One of my former students was a passionate and still is a passionate singer songwriter while in college. And that's her passion, right? Her full-time job is as a marketer. She's a marketer, integrated marketer, event marketer, all those kinds of things. But the first company that she, um, first uh, company she was hired by after college actually proactively encouraged and, and invited everyone to pursue their side hustles, pursue their passions outside the office, um, and even recognize those side hustles in the office. So while she was in that job the first year, she released her first solo album. And instead of doing it quietly and on the side and secretly so no one knows, it was actually in, encouraged, no, tell us about it. We want to share that with the company. And oh, by the way, if you're going to have a concert next week, we want to be there. Yep. That was music to her ears, pun intended. And, and literally, that is our experience. Yeah. We have, a, we have a, a, a couple of people, but one in particular, this guy, Ali Aslam, he's one of our star designers. His passion is music, and he makes albums, and he he tours, you know, the, yeah. the New York City bars and clubs yep. and some other areas around the country. And, you know, I, I've, I've said to him many times, like, no, that's important. I, I want you to do that. We yeah. want you to do that. And yes, please invite us. We've gone to his shows. <laughs> yeah. It's so awesome. I love yeah. to do that. So to your point, by doing that as the owner slash C-suite, that's going to make them work, be more excited about the place they work. They're going to love the place they work more because you're, you're, you're saying, no, pursue it to the fullest. And oh, by the way, we want to come along for the ride and cheer you on. They're going to love that yeah. if we're at a, if they're at a different place where it's like, this is the only thing you do. Focus on this. Don't focus on anything else. And you're like, I can't stand this place. Right. right. So I love that idea because then it's um, again, it's open, it's public, it's transparent. We're all rallying around him or her and uh, they feel pretty darn good at the end of the day. Like, wow, I, I work for a company that really really loves this, that I pursue my, my passion. Yeah, it's, pursuits, it's, you know? it's true. And I do, I think you actually work harder for that company. Absolutely. You, you know, if I've got to work something at, you know, yep. on the weekend at eight o'clock at night yep. to get it done, well, that's fine because, yep. you know, they let me, you know, do what I had, had to do on a Friday afternoon to go, you know, tour or play a gig or yeah. something like that. Yeah. I, and, I, and I think those side hustles, to your point, could they be maybe too close to comfort, meaning they're similar to, yeah, possibly. But I think the reason it's a side hustle, it's kind of something completely different, right? So pursuing the music, um, starting a nonprofit 501c3, just because I really focused on my community or this concern or this this area. Um, again, to your point, they will love the company more because they they value that. And they'll, uh, at the end of the day, they'll end up working harder. Yep. So tell us a little bit about your backstory. Um, where did you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it as quickly as possible. Yeah, no worries. Now, I, uh, I had a fascinating uh, background. My father was a colonel in the U.S. Army. And so I got to grow up at the United States Military Academy at West Point from oh. age four to about age 12 or 13 on the base. 
Uh, he was in the admissions office, so if you wanted to get into West Point, you had to go through him and his team there. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, at the time, I didn't know it. I look back now and say, man, what a what a childhood I had. Um, to live on a military base, to live at West Point, uh, just a, such a historic, iconical, iconic place. Um, and just all the fun that came with it. I mean, I was a, uh, not exaggerating, as a six, seven, eight-year-old, I would walk to Army football games, which were a half mile from my house, and go watch Army football in the 70s. <laughs> uh, I saw a young Coach K when he took over the Army team in 70, I don't know, the exact year, four or five, going to every basketball game. And this basketball coach, who's now the greatest of all time, people didn't even know how to pronounce his name, so they called him Coach K. <laughs> and uh, my father had a really close relationship with oh, him. Wow. So having that was great. Um, and then uh, moved to the shore. Uh, my dad uh, met that retirement date in the Army, and he took over as the dean of what's called the West Point Prep School, which at one point was stationed here at Fort Monmouth. Oh. Uh, Fort Monmouth has since been closed from yep. a military perspective, so now it's at West Point. And for 15 years, he was the academic dean there. So moved down here during the high school years, ended up going to the West Point Prep School between high school and college. In fact, we're filming a documentary right now about that experience. We were there last week because, as you know, Netflix is taking over oh, uh, yes. three or 400 acres. And we think part of that acre, that part of that parcel is actually our old barracks where we lived and studied and went to school for a year. And so we actually went over there last week. Uh, Ten of us flew in. Um, or 10 others flew in from around the country, and we filmed an entire day of our year there in 1980-45, which we're currently going to turn into a documentary. Wow. And then from there, went to Rutgers University, and my passion was always um, media, mm -hmm. journalism, broadcasting. So even when I was in sophomore in high school, I got my first job as a sports editor for a weekly newspaper in Belmar, New Jersey. There was an ad, and my mom said, pursue it. I'm like, they're never going to hire some 10th, 10th grader. Well, I don't think anyone else applied. So I became the sports <laughs> editor. Um, and then during college, you know, I worked at NBC in New York. Uh, I wrote for the Asbury Park Press. Uh, so I didn't write for the student paper. I actually wrote for the Asbury Park Press. Um, and then between junior and senior year, I always tell my students this story. And I think it's part, partly I'm telling them because you, you can do more than you really think you can do. And so between that junior and senior year, which would have been the summer of 88, which is my kind of my transitional year. Uh, maybe I'll write a song about that. Um, <laughs> I would get up every morning and get on a 7 a.m. train from New Brunswick to uh, New York and go work for a public relations agency that was focused on sports and entertainment and get work there from 8.30ish till 5.30 or so. Get done and I would sprint. And that was in the 50s. I'd sprint over to 30 Rock and I'd produce one of the first ever sports radio shows every night from 7 to midnight. Get done at 12.01, run, literally run because I'm a college kid with no money, to Penn Station, catch a 12.35 train back to New Brunswick, get there at about 1.20 in the morning, take a nap and do it again the next day. Wow. And in that summer, was a great summer, made lots of contacts, relationships, but the transformation from wanting to be in media to wanting to be in marketing happened. And so when I went back senior, I'm like, no, my focus is this thing called public relations and marketing. And okay. that set me off on a 30-year career in that space. Wow. And so then how do you end up a Gen Z expert? Oh, so yeah, <laughs> no, I get asked all the time. So, you know, for 30 years, I was in New York at an agency, uh, started at the lowest possible level and eventually became part owner of the agency. And for most of those years in the 2000s, 2005, 2010, 2015, every time we were invited to compete for business with the biggest brands in the world, so clients included Coca-Cola, Nike, Procter & Gamble, Taco Bell, Capital One, uh, Nestle, and others, the focus was millennials. So you get the brief, the RFP, 
how do we engage millennials around this or that or this new product or this sponsorship or this? So that was the focus. And so that was, like I said, 2205, 210, 215. And I was driving back from a course I just started at Rutgers in 2017. And I just had what I call a light bulb moment. And it was like, millennials have been a focus. When we get into the 2020s, they will not be. Gen Z will be. Mm. So I started that next morning every day at 6 a.m. I just research anything I can get my hands on, articles, um, studies, surveys, this, that. And I just gather them and gather them and gather them. And then combine that with being in class with these Gen Zers every day and being able to get the latest, greatest, what's trending, what's happening. You know, right after the Super Bowl last week, we spent a half hour just on, did you watch the Super Bowl on network television? If not, which most did not, where did you consume the content? TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. And what and what really engaged you? Were there certain commercials that also engaged you? And so we go through those conversations. And so that was the thought process was eventually Gen Z will take over for millennials when it comes to marketing. But now, of course, we're seeing it from a recruiting and retention standpoint. Sure. And so I just 2017, it just started and research, 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 mostly reading everything I can get my hands on and then just continuing that consistently through. I still do that today. The first thing I do when I wake up is simply type in Gen Z, Gen Z in marketing, Gen Z in uh, the workforce. And just every day there's stories being published. Interesting. And so you've written five books. Uh, yeah, I've written. Uh, so we've got Decoding Gen Z was the first in 2018, which was more about what are they all what are they doing on their phones? What are they looking for? Engaging Gen Z in 2020, which I co-authored with um, a Harvard University sophomore at the time, Michael Pinkowski. I thought, let me co-author this with a Gen Z. I think it'll add more credibility. And we had a blast doing it. He's now since graduated Harvard and do, doing very well in his career. Um Gen Z graduates to adulthood, which came out last year, which was about now Gen Z are no longer just in school, but they've actually graduated and they're working. Mm -hmm. um, there's one other book in there that I co-authored with one of my Rutgers University professors. And then um, the next book will come out in a few weeks is called ZEO. And I got a story on that for you. Okay. Uh, introducing Gen Z, the new generation leader. So I was doing an interview like this last fall and the host said, you keep saying ZEO, ZEO. And I said, yeah, it's a term I've been using for, I don't know, three, four, five years in all my speeches and presentations. And when I say it, I'm referring to intern, Gen Z interns or Gen Z, the newest employees. And what I tell employers to do is empower your ZEOs. Give them a, a challenge. Give them something new, something that maybe you've been thinking about, but you haven't focused on it. See if they can solve it, right? Using all their entrepreneurial skills and their digital mindset and all that. And so there's brands like Target who since 2018 have had a Gen Z incubator, which is a nationwide incubator of Gen Zers who help them uh, inspire new ideas, new products, new causes, new this, new that. Um, Converse has the same and the National Hockey League has the same thing. And so I got done that interview and I said, maybe, maybe no one does use this term. I just thought everyone used it. <laughs> so I'm typing in ZEO and I cannot find ZEO as it relates to this new generation of, of, um, of you know, young adults. I found ZEO, which was a Power Ranger back in the 90s. Didn't know that. <laughs> and I found an app that had something to do with uh, uh, getting like almost like a, a Waze app. But other than that, I couldn't find it. So I said right away, I'm like, that will be the next book. These ZEOs okay. that your company, other companies, you know, if you're hiring this next class, well, that would be a ZEO. And, you know, they're bringing a lot to the table. So why don't we give them a little something they can focus on aside from their day to day tasks? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and so that's the next one that I'm really excited about because um, it's uh, it's got that fun little I, 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 I always tease the covers out and I probably teased it a month ago and I got more reaction to ZEO than I've gotten to anything I've ever Did you done. Trademark before. that? You I've met with trademark lawyers <laughs> twice. Okay. 
<laughs> and uh, they didn't give me the answers I wanted. They were like, oh, you don't have to trademark it yet. So uh, <laughs> to be continued. I love it. Um, so kind of bringing it back, a few more questions about just Gen Z in general, because there, I think there's one important aspect that we haven't touched on, and that is the phone. Mm-hmm. and social media. And you, you talked a little bit about it in the Super Bowl advertising. But, you know, again, from from using my kids as an example, um, they are not interested in Facebook. I, I, I actually no. have never been on Facebook myself, uh, but I know like the moms are on Facebook, sure. all that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, and we do Instagram for company stuff and for the podcast. Uh, but their their big things are, are Snapchat, TikTok, and YouTube. Um, and I'm curious kind of, you know, where all this leads sure. with that. Yeah. And I, and I will, I will preference this. I, there's a couple of things about Snapchat I find very disturbing. And mm-hmm. um, one of them is a map. I don't know if you know about the mm-hmm. map where every kid can see where mm-hmm. all of their friends are mm-hmm. any time of the day. And yes, you can turn it off, mm-hmm. but they don't. They all like to know where each other are, is, yeah. which is really messed up for, I think, psychologically, <laughs> like, hey, I wasn't invited to that party down the street. How come all my friends are there? Um, but despite sort of the TikTok, the nonsense on TikTok, right, and the the, the politics around TikTok, I actually like TikTok. I learn a lot from TikTok. Mm-hmm. So I watch things that I'm interested in. Yep woodworking, yep. carving, yep. things like that. And I've, I've learned more from TikTok yep. than I have from sitting down and watching YouTube yep. videos. So talk to me a little bit about that and, and kind of where all this is Yeah, going. absolutely. So I'll just, the landscape, and you hit on it pretty well there. You know, as I like to say, Gen Z's media consumption habits are unprecedented. As Gen Xers, we grew up on television, radio, newspaper, magazines. Well, newspapers really don't exist. I don't know if they exist anymore. <laughs> Magazines don't exist, right? Or they have digital digital forms of those. But we grew up on those. Mm-hmm. We didn't have social media channels, right? Our content channels were very traditional channels. Gen Z is the complete opposite. They really don't consume much network and cable television. If I brought a newspaper into class tomorrow, they'd look at that and say, what the heck is that, right? Because they don't pick up newspapers. They may go to the digital hubs for news outlets, which they do. Um, So their media consumption habits are just completely different. It's just a different world, right? We might have sat in front of a TV for four hours. They will not do that. Mm -hmm. They may sit and watch YouTube for four hours, but they, right? (laughs) Um, So the consumption habits, the channels, the media channels are evolving, will continue to evolve, and there will be down the road a new version of a TikTok and a new version of, you know, all those kinds of things. So that's the first interesting thing is that, to your point, a couple of interesting things. I call the big three, actually, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. That's the big three. Snapchat is very, very popular, which makes sense why you would you know mention Snapchat, very popular with high school. In fact, it's the number one social media with high school. So if I get invited to a high school, which I do by principles all the time, and again, I go in there and really talk more about pursue your passions, follow your dreams, um, I will do just a fun exercise at the very beginning. I'll show the logos for Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, Snapchat, and others. And I'll just say, just show hands real quick, uh, which if you can only have one of these for the next year, you're on a desert island, which would be 99 out of 100 say Snapchat. <laughs> if I did that with seniors in college, it would be TikTok or Instagram. Snapchat kind of goes away when you get to college. Why? Okay. That I don't know why, but it kind of <laughs> fades. So the high, the college students are looking at me like, Snapchat? Yeah, that was high school, right? So maybe that's the whole reason behind it. So a um, little bit of change there. And to your point, um, some of these content channels, I spend a lot of time on TikTok ex- doing exactly what you said. I'm learning things of that are of interest to me. I spend a lot of time on there seeing what how brands are marketing to, yeah. you know, probably not marketing to me, more marketing to Gen Z, but I like to see how are they marketing to this consumer. So... Um, 
you know, um, TikTok, um, even though there's been universities in recent months have banned TikTok on campuses, uh, even though just this week in New Jersey, I think it's Chatham has gone ahead, this made major news in the last 24 hours, has gone ahead is suing TikTok and Instagram and others. Uh, I don't think TikTok's going away anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Instagram's going away anytime soon. YouTube is here. Snapchat, as I said, I think is more of an age thing because I'm seeing that when they get to college, they kind of finish up with Snapchat. And then uh, in the last year, um, Be Real is a new one that's emerged, but I don't think it has staying power. And I don't know if in a year from now it'll be here. Um, most of my students last fall, I'd say more than 50% were on Be Real in some form or fashion. Um, I just don't think it has the staying power. And one of the reasons why is because Be Real, unless they've done it recently, but they weren't allowing marketers to advertise like they do on TikTok and Instagram. And obviously, that's a source of revenue. And if you'd allow that, you'd have a lot more marketers putting content out there. So sure. uh, to your point, we could spend hours and hours on the good and the bad of social media, the good and bad of the content. Is it contributing to um, mental health issues, anxiety issues? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, so was MTV. So, was, yeah, so, so were television shows generation? too. Yeah, that, that great comparison. So, um, there are pros and cons to every yeah. media, the content channels, um, and many Gen Zers, especially um, as they maybe age. Uh, I'm not saying high schoolers don't do this, but they're also using it as a way to create content, distribute content. You know, I've got one student who was in my class who has 4 million followers on TikTok. Wow. So he's figured out not only how to do that, but how to monetize that. Now he has brands who are paying him to um, to be an ambassador. So my younger daughter has 12,000 followers on TikTok, but she doesn't show her face. It's all these little silicon pigs that she puts in situations. And it, it's fascinating yeah. that she has that many followers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she probably could monetize it. Yeah. Just, we just don't letter yeah. i guess for whatever reason yeah. so it'll be so you know more from a marketer i don't say employer because i think employers have to look at it too but more from a marketer if you're trying to engage gen z you've got to be you have to be on those channels because if not they're not even going to see you mm -hmm. so you have to be producing distributing engaging content on those channels so i had a million questions but i think you know as we kind of begin to wrap up here uh are you familiar with the the book the fourth turning have you ever heard of that book i don't think so it's by um Oh, what's his name? Neil Neil Howe. He talks about, um, you know, I'm going to butcher this, right? The uh, the definition of it is the the end of a cycle or crisis phase is also known as the fourth turning when the hero generation entering young adulthood faces off with the prophet generation hmm. uh, that is entering elderhood, right? And he wrote, he, this is a quote from him, sometime before the year 2025, America will pass through the great gate in history, uh, consumer commensurate uh, with the American Revolution, Civil War, and the twin emergencies of the Great Depression and World War II. And he wrote that in February wow. 23rd in 2017. Wow. So in a, in a sense, right, I, I do you see, and you actually you touched on this earlier, yeah. now that I think of it, do you see Gen Z as sort of the the savior generation, the generation that's going to kind of calm all of the the turmoil down and kind of bring us into another level of prosperity? That's a great question. I think, you know, Tom Hanks, as I said, called them the chosen ones. Right. I did not call them that, uh, <laughs> but he called them the chosen ones. I think they'll, 
they're going to bring they're bringing new ideas, new thinking, a new mindset to the table for sure. Uh, only the oldest are currently in the workplace. We said by 2030, 30 percent. And then we're at a tipping point right now. We've got a, a, a sub substantive number of Gen Zers right now. I think we have a sprinkling of Gen Zers. <laughs> so I think as that happens, they will have greater influence, uh, greater influence with leaders of companies and organizations. Right. Uh, to transform and innovate, whether that's. Um, being as a company more purposeful, which I'm seeing that play out now. So companies are looking at, do we really have a purpose? We probably should have a purpose. These Gen Zers are looking for, right? Yeah. And then, you know, on the, the other side of the fence, just being more advanced, more innovative, more transformative when it comes to how we conduct business and what we do and all those kinds of things. So I think that influence is happening now, but I don't think we'll have the tipping point until we have many more Gen Zers at the workplace as we approach that 2020, you know, getting into 2030. So between 2025, 26, 27, I think we'll start to see it even more so. And then by then, you also have now Gen Zers who are now starting to be in more managerial roles because the oldest of them graduated in 2019 or so. So you get to 2030, they're 10, 11 years in. So now they are the supervisors. They are the managers. Maybe even some are VPs, you know, depending on the organization. Mm -hmm. oh. So um, as we wrap up, uh, is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to talk about? I mean, this was a great <laughs> conversation and I thought we covered all of it. Um, and I, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I have a million more. No, no, I, I think we covered all. And I think for those listening, two. for those listening, because I know you have a lot of listeners who are looking at it from, as you said, a workplace and employment and all that. We're in a really interesting space right now. Boomers, Xers, millennials, Gen Zers all coming together, both physically and also remotely and virtually. <laughs> and um, I would just say my message that I always deliver is each and every one of those delivers value to the organization. So we have to figure out, okay, that value and recognize it, but also how do we connect and collaborate in a way that I like to say one plus one equals three. And uh, I think every organization can do that. We just have to be open-minded and to you know, all of our strengths and what we bring to the table. Yeah. Well, well said. Thank you. So, and I know you have your own podcast. I have. It's kind of gone on the back burner a little bit. Uh, 101 <laughs> Lessons in Leadership. Uh, I think oh, not quite 100 episodes, probably about 75. But um, since I've been writing so much, it's kind of been put on the, the side. Okay. And so I, I do want to make sure that we we plug your books. Sure. Uh, also your website, uh, markbealspeaks.com. Sure. And all of Mark's books are on Amazon. Trust me, I was looking at them all. Uh, and thank you for bringing these here. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for, um, and make sure you buy, uh, you know, the new book, ZEO. CEO, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Christian. This was great. And I conversation was, all the homework you did was, uh, was great because it really uh, led to a, a robust conversation. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thanks for coming. <laughs>